The title of the teaching is simply this. The church. Why we do what we do. What do we do in a church? Why do we do it? Why is there a church? So, you remember last week, here's the picture. This is the ascension of Jesus into heaven. We'll talk a little more in depth next week. But remember, when he went to heaven, our title of the teaching, if you missed last week, you guys in Vieira, Sebastian, or you guys watching online, if you missed it, just go and find out what is Jesus doing now in heaven that he's left the earth. And when we gave you eight things that Jesus is doing for us right now in heaven on the right hand of the Father. And one day we are, at Christ followers, we're going to be there as well. Now, one of those things we learned that Jesus is doing is very important. Take a look, Ephesians 1.22. God put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. All things. Look at this. For the benefit of what? Well, what are we? We're the church. The church is not a building, in case you don't know. The church is people, Christ followers. So God put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for the benefit, our benefit, of the church. So we learned this statement. This is one of our keys. Jesus is busy working with the Holy Spirit to do two specific things, to protect and build his church. That would be around the world, churches that preach the gospel, stay according to the word of God. That's the way it is. Now, if you will, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, Vieira, Sebastian, you guys online, and you here. Uh, I will read, if you don't have your Bible or iPhone with you, Matthew 16, verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? So Jesus decided to take a break and take his disciples 25 miles north of Mount Hermon, called a city, Caesarea Philippi. Now, let me just show you the pictures. This is what it is. This is Jesus there. And uh, these are pictures that I've been there. Linda and I have been there with so many people from the church. We've been there specifically 17 times. I've taught from that place every year for more than 17. Obviously, last year we can't go. We're hoping to go in August. We got a bus full, huge full, and uh, we just pray that we'll be able to go there. But take a look at that for a moment. Let me just say some things to you while you're looking at it. The city was known for its pagan worship of Baal and carved into the sides, you can't see it specifically, but carved into the sides of the bedrock are inscriptions celebrating worship of an old ancient Greek god basically named Pan. Pan. Now, that background, as you see right there, is a perfect setup for Jesus in the question he just made. Because when you look at that background, everything that's worshipped there is dead. 
A rock doesn't go, hey, you didn't rub me today. It's pagans. There's no life. It's dead. And you're going to see a different word. It's a contrast. That's one of the reasons Jesus took his disciples there. Because Jesus is living. Pagans are dead. So that's what he wanted to do. And he wants to challenge all of us with the answer that the disciples gave. Now, if you will, Matthew 16, 14. And they replied, remember he said, who do the people say I am? And they replied, the disciples, some say John the Baptist. Others say, well, I think he's Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah, or maybe the generic one, he must be a prophet. He must be one of the prophets. So in Israel, this is not in Israel. This is in, well, it's, it's in that area, but it's really Gentile people. No Jews there, just Gentile people. And the talk in Israel, where Jesus and his disciples ministered, it was all about Jesus because everybody, they didn't believe in him, but it was there. People being healed, turned the water into wine, you name the miracles. They knew him, of course, then later on the cross and resurrected, all of that. But the people, the Jewish people, simply didn't get it. And they would say, not what you heard from the general people, the, the disciples said, there's a lot of Jewish people that say this. Uh, he's a great teacher. He's a nice prophet. And it looks like he's a good man. See, they didn't realize, the Jews, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. Now think about this. When you ask people today in our world, specifically in the United States, who would they, what, their, what would their answer be for Jesus? I'm not talking about Christians. We already know that. But the world will say, eh, I heard about him. Nice guy. Has a nice kind of group of people. He wrote some nice things. He was kind. They don't get it either. Our world is really no different than in those days. You have to think about that. They know about him, but they don't know him personally at all. Don't even know that you could have a relationship with him. So Jesus had been mentoring his disciples for more than three years. He knew soon he was going to have to go to the cross. This is before he went to the cross. And then, as we showed you already, ascend into heaven. He knew that was coming. He had told the disciples that many times. But they didn't get it either. They didn't think he would do that. They think he's going to stay there, establish the kingdom in Jerusalem, and then basically get rid of the Romans. Well, that's not true. You saw that during Easter in our teachings last week. They knew he said that many times. They just didn't believe it. So he's bringing him, these disciples there, and he's going to show them a picture of their future. Not Jesus. Their future. And and how they would be connected, and he's going to say this, to the church that Jesus would design and build. So he's giving them a look. Uh, you know, in other words, I'm going to be leaving. Listen to me. You're going to be in charge of a lot of things. Now, look at Matthew 16, 15. Here we go. Then Jesus turns 
from the people. What do the people outside of you guys, what do they say? Look what he says. But what about you disciples? He asked, who do you say I am? So Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. He wanted to hear their answer. Now, I have this for you on the overhead, Matthew 16, 16. And Simon Peter, you know, Simon Peter, if anybody asked a question, he opened his mouth. He had the answer. Remember, he was a prideful kind of guy. He's right here, but later he gets in trouble. He's always changing feet into his mouth. Now, Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. That word, the Christ, means the Messiah. The son of the what kind of God? Exactly. So he got it right. You are Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, there's that contrast again. Son of the living God in contrast to the dead gods, pagan gods of Pan and Baal. Now, here's something very important. You you have to realize how much we're blessed. We take this for granted. Look at it. Unlike any other religion in the world, ever, Christianity is about a vibrant personal relationship with a living God. No other religion has a living God. They're all dead. It's over. We have a living God still today, obviously. Now, go to Matthew 16, 17. And Jesus replied after getting that response. He said, blessed are you, Simon, Peter, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So his answer wasn't from his wisdom. God told him basically what to say. He opened the eyes of Peter finally, and he revealed two special truths to Peter. Now, the reason that scripture says that, because when Jesus said to him, when Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Peter, Peter goes, praise the Lord. <laughs> to the other disciples, hey boys, <laughs> one day you'll be like that, man, do I have the answers right? <laughs> and Jesus said, I know, that didn't come from you. That came from God the Father. He knows how to take care of our pride. You know, he hates pride, died, because We don't have the answers. God has the answers. So here's what happened. He opened the spiritual eyes, and there were two truths that the disciples heard, as well as Peter and Jesus. Jesus, you are the Messiah, looking right at him. And Jesus, you are God. Wow. Exactly. Then we go to a very interesting verse. I have it for you, Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, Jesus speaking, that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. I will build. The church hasn't started yet. I will build my church. Now, this is the very first time in the Bible, you guys in the balcony, in the Bible, that the word church ever appears. First time, Old Testament, New Testament, first time, the church. Now, what he's saying there, 
in the original language, I have for you on the overhead. It will clarify things for you very easy. You are Petros, a little stone. Just a little stone, a little bigger than a pebble. A little stone. And upon this rock, Petra, is a large rock, a foundation boulder, something that would hold a building together. And he says this, I will build my church. Now, there's lots of definitions for the church. The name really means ecclesia. It means people were called out of the world, serving Satan, doing their things. God isn't part of them. Called out, and they became believers, just like all you guys are. They were not believers at one time, like all of us were, and they were called out of the world by God and Jesus to be the church. They were now serving God. I, my definition, I like, is this. A church, it's a living orgasm, a body of believers, that's who we are, Christ followers, who carry out the purposes of God on the earth. So we are servants, actually, for God and for Jesus. That's why we're here. They give us the purposes. We carry them out, and you'll see later, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to do just two things very simple. I want everybody, just by yourself right now, I just want you to say these words in a moment on the count of three. I am the church. Here we go. One, two, three. I am the church. Good. Now get ready. Look to somebody you can look at. Just look around you. Look around you. Front, back, wherever. Say good morning to them. Yeah, good to do that already. Just say you needed this. No, I'm just kidding. Come on. All right. Now here, here. By the way, did we need this? You ain't, I ain't done yet. All right. Say this to the other people. You are the church. One, two, three. You are the church. See, what that is, is we're family. Did you get it? That's why I said this morning when I opened the service, welcome home, church family. We're a family. Now, when you see that, in the Old Testament, we just heard the word rock, rock, rock. In the Old Testament, the rock was commonly applied to God himself all through the Old Testament. Let me show you. I'll show you two today, but this is the first one in Deuteronomy. He is not a rock, the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upward, upright, and just as he is. Now, when we talk about this Confusing verse to lots of people. Who is the rock that Jesus is talking about? The rock, the foundation that he's going to build the church on. Now, I'm not going to try to offend anybody, but I have to tell you what the Bible says is very clear. Now, could the rock be Peter? Because he made the statement. I'll show you in a moment. Absolutely not. Could it be Peter's confession of faith? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe, maybe, very well, sound kind of close. But could it also be that Jesus is the rock? Exactly. So those last two are 
fairly close. You understand? It's fairly close. It's all about Jesus. And what you discover here is that we believe from the scriptures, and I think I can easily prove it to you. We're not trying to knock anybody else. We believe the Bible proves that Jesus' words apply maybe a little bit to Peter's statement because it was absolutely true. But we believe it's applying to Jesus himself. And basically what he says, I will build my church. So to me, that just says it. Now, we believe the Bible teaches that God did not build his church overall on a man or any human. He built it on Jesus. Now, think about this. Why would that not be a human person? Well, right after Peter makes this great statement, you remember, Jesus is kind of going around, and, and as he said to Peter, way to go, Pete. And, and then he says to the guys, uh, I brought you here to also remind you I'm going to heaven. I got to go to the cross, be crucified, and then I'm going to heaven. And Peter came to Jesus and said, no way you're doing it, Peter, Jesus. Not a chance, Jesus, like he's the boss. And you know what Jesus said to him? Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is in the world. It's not into God. Now, who wants a leader of a church who says, get behind me, Satan? I don't want that kind of a leader, do you? So that's why human beings are not the leaders. It's God himself in the person of Jesus. Now, let me show you. Both Peter and Paul, I'll start with Peter, said, no way I'm the rock. I am not the rock. So let me just show you what that looks like. His own testimony. Peter, I'll read it to you. He writes this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. So here's what you see. Peter writes, Christ is the living cornerstone, the foundation, the founder and the foundation of the church. Peter knew Jesus was the foundation. Peter says, I am not the rock. Jesus is the rock, the big boulder. It's faced on that. Now, not only Peter, but Paul, the one that wrote most things in the New Testament in his letters to the churches than anybody. Look what Paul writes. For no one can lay any foundation, look how clear this is, other than the one already laid, which is who? Yeah, it's already down. It's finished. It's done. He says you can't come up with another founder or foundation. It's already been laid. It's Jesus Christ. So Paul knew Jesus was the foundation. So that moves us to the third key. Paul writes this, Christ is the head, the authority of the church. Ephesians 5.23 says it like this, Christ is the head of the church. Does that tell you that he is the rock? Again, yes. He is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. So we follow Christ. We don't live by doing our own thing. He's in authority. 
We submit to the authority, just like Jesus submitted to his authority. Who was Jesus' authority? His father. I only do the things my father tells me to do. That's the way authority operates. We are servants of God. We don't tell God what to do. We obey God because he is the authority, the head of his church. Now, when you see that, Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is his savior. And then he says this. By the way, you have to understand, he is my my church, my church. It's not your church. It's not my church. People think, well, Pastor Mark, it's your church. Oh, no, I am not the head of this church. Jesus is the head of this church. Any pastor that gets up and says, I'm the head of the church, they probably say it by mistake because basically, maybe I'm the senior pastor or something like that, but we are not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of this church and every church. Why? Because he's perfect. Hello. Got it? Now, number four. Christ is the builder of the church. Acts 2.47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christ is always adding new people to the church. Now, you're a part of that because you and you guys online and the other campuses and all of those guys that come here, all a part of our campus is the church. Basically, you invite people to come to Christ or to come to the church and hear about God. You're part of it, but we don't save them. The Holy Spirit convicts them, and God saves them. So thank you. That's why we have all these people. That's why the church is always growing, and it continues to grow, even in places where there's a a lot of spiritual warfare. Now, when you see this, Here's a big key that many people think. We don't join the church, and I'm not talking about membership now. Don't say, because I came from a church. My dad's church way back was, uh, he was a member. Uh, we had membership. And uh, uh, basically, we, ever since that we left there, we never joined the church that had membership. Now, why do we do that? Uh, nothing wrong with the membership. It's okay. But Basically, do I have to sign a paper that I'm a member? No, I'm already in the body of Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you come from the church that had membership, there's good things about it, but there's difficult things about it. You know how many people have church, split churches because they were members? Let's take a vote here. Boom. You want this? You want that? Yeah, we want that. Well, we don't want that. Okay, we're seeing you. We're split the church. Anybody ever come from a split church? Let me see your hand. Anybody ever find arguments? You know what the basic of that usually is? Me, myself, and I. I can tell you very quickly. Because I was raised at home, I didn't really understand when I was younger. My dad was a pastor of a church. It was a good church. And it started growing back even in the 60s. Uh, like four or 500 people, couldn't believe it. Then they name it and claim it came in, and we went way down, and the rest of the Detroit area went terrible with the false doctrine. But what happened is, in the membership... They would meet and vote on things, put the building, we'll do this. One time, this is just for you, it's weird, but it's true. My mom, we lived in a parsonage. We didn't have enough money. We just lived in a parsonage, and the church paid for us to live there. And my mom says, I need to, I need to paint the bathroom. It's terrible. I need to paint it yellow. So they brought it to a vote. That's what you had to do. They brought it to a vote. And the people outvoted 
my dad's wife, you cannot paint it yellow. Find another color. You can't believe how I came home and my mom was crying. She poured her life into this church. Yellow versus another color. Really? Is that important? And it dis- when I saw that, I went, I'm not so much for membership the rest of my life. I don't think I'd ever be a pastor. But praise God, she got over it. She wasn't a griping person. But it hurt my dad for them to say that against his wife. So do you understand? There is authority. God won't vote. Are you glad we don't vote here? Whether you got to have it over here and you got to do it over here and you can't do it over here. No, we just have the eldership and the people are in the finance committee. They're smart. We never do it on our own. We pray to God. We need your wisdom, God. They just said, no, yellow isn't a good color. I don't think God said, yellow is a terrible color. No, that was their own mind, but they were an authority. So you understand what happened. So in the church, what do we do to authority? Who is God? We submit. We submit because he is the authority. Now, here's what I want to say to you. You cannot join the church. You must be spiritually born into it. Now, I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking the church. Now, John, if you want to turn in your Bibles, John 3, verse 1 and 3. This is a, a young man, actually an older man. His name was Nicodemus. He came to Jesus at night, and I'll explain who he is. I usually call, when I get here to John 3, 1 to 3, I call this Nick at night because that's what happened. He was afraid of the Jewish people who didn't believe in Jesus at all. But he came to Jesus, and he wanted to say to Jesus, who are you? You're amazing. I don't understand. So the verse says this, now there was a man of the Pharisees, really high in authority, named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish religious council, ruling council. I tell you the truth, Jesus says to him, well, it's nice that you have great, great leadership. You are a very nice religious person. You honor God's word. You believe God's Old Testament. You absolutely do that. But Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God. No one will go to heaven unless he's born again. And Nicodemus is a brilliant man. He says, are you kidding me? What are you talking about born again? He thought, do I have to go back in my mother's womb? That'll never work. What are you talking about, Jesus? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's not physical, it's spiritual. So Nicodemus, he was that leader, and he's looking for purpose because he's empty. The law didn't fulfill him at all, and he's searching for the real thing. So basically, Jesus says to him, I'll tell you how it is. By the way, so you'll know, you know this, Nicodemus eventually became born again and a total believer in Jesus Christ. But Jesus says this, Your religion, Nicodemus, your good works will never get you to heaven. You must be born spiritually again or to enter heaven. In other words, put your faith in me and your sins will be forgiven and you will be born again. Now, everyone who does not have a personal relationship with God, all of us were born physically alive but spiritually dead. Adam and Eve were born physically alive. But once they sinned, they were spiritually dead. The word dead means separated. They were separated 
from the living God because of sin. So, basically, Jesus says to Nicodemus, as he does to all sinners, we are all started the same thing. Wherever who I'm talking to, we all were sinners. Ephesians says, you were born in sin, but God came along and changed us. So, Nicodemus, Jesus says to Nicodemus, repent, believe, and you'll be spiritually born again. That is the solution. I'm going to die for all the people's sins. Now, here comes number five. Christ is the protector of his church. Matthew 16, 6, 18. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, or Hades, will not overcome that. We already sang that this morning. Now, the gates of Hades symbolize Satan and the power of of death. So what Jesus is saying to his disciples is the church will come up against Satan and the forces of hell. You know, that was right from the beginning. When Jesus was baptized in the Spirit, immediately led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan. He defeated all that. It continues to this day. We are in spiritual warfare that will never end until we get to heaven. That's it. We're there. There's two teams working but God is greater than Satan, totally. So Jesus says, you're going to come up against this. It doesn't matter. I've come up against it. Basically, every Christian will come up against it. Life is not a playground. It's a batter ground. And the church is an army that's a spiritual army against Satan and sin. Now, remember, Jesus said, oh, we already saw this, the gates of hell would never defeat his church. Jesus protects his church. The church of Jesus Christ is indestructible. Now, you didn't get much of that. Our world is plummeting to hell. But Jesus' church will never be destroyed. Now, when you say, the building go away, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about us. Is there a danger with people? Yes. Here's the danger as we move along. The, Timothy tells us in the latter days, there's going to be a lot of people that walk away from God. Well, that isn't God's problem. That's a person's problem. They got deceived by Satan. And apostasy. They just leave. Remember way early on a few months ago, I talked about drifting from God. Well, that's what's happening. So it's not Jesus' church being destroyed. It's a person saying, I'm done with that. I'm going to do my own thing. How stupid is that? Well, that's because Satan's a great deceiver. So be careful. That's why we ask you to come to church, that we have to have a quiet time with the Lord because Satan is always roaming, looking for someone to devour. And he has a lot of people that he devours because they just say, not interested anymore, God. Now, think about this. Here's the big deal that you'll see happening in the church. Number six, Christ's church is based on biblical truth. 1 Timothy 3.15 says it just like this. This is the church of the, what kind of God? Living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Wow, that's exactly right. Now, what kind of truth is coming from many churches today that used to teach all the Bible? Not much truth. I don't like that. Abortion's perfectly fine, no problem. Lie. 
Marriage is no longer one man and one woman. Lie. Truth to the word of God. So what happens? There's no truth anymore in many churches. You know why they do this? Many churches say, oh, the people aren't coming because we teach about hell. Or we teach that this is a sin that the Bible says it's a Well, we have to just loosen that up because we need more people. No, you don't need more people. You need people that come to serve the word of God. With God's help, you'll never find this church or any of our pastors diluting the word of God. It's truth. It cannot be diluted. If a thousand people come, if we do that, we're wrong because those people are not going to go to heaven. The pastors are not going to go to heaven. This is a war, guys. You say, well, I don't like to hear it. Sorry, we're in it. But the church will never, ever be destroyed. Relax. Relax. Now, what happens? How did the church get started? Well, they went to West Melbourne and see if they could get a lot plant and see if they could get somebody, how much can we use or how many square feet do we have? No, they didn't do that. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. Vieira, Sebastian, you guys watching at home, you guys in the balcony. John chapter 20. Scoot on down to verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood basically among them and said, Peace, shalom to you. After this, after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord in his resurrected body. Now, here's where it begins to be very interesting. John 20, 21. I have it for you on the overhead. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He's talking to his disciples. God sent me here to do his will. I am sending you to do his will because I'm not going to be here. Now, here's the way it looks, and it's a beautiful picture. I found this, and Brett in our media department just clarified it for me. Take a look at this. This is the Great Commission. As the Father sent the Son, even so the Son sends believers into the world. Now, take a look at this. Father to Son. Now it's changed. It's Son to all of us. Do you understand? That's His commission to us. It is not a suggestion to us. As the Father sent me, I'm sending all of you. This isn't just in our church. This is everyone that's the church, Christ followers, doing all of that. In John 17, Jesus made a prayer to his Father, and he prayed for us, the church. He says this, same thing. Just as you sent me into the world, even so, God, I'm, I'm sending them into the world. So he said, Dad, I did what you asked me to do. You're going to be in charge of them. I'm sending them to do your will. So Jesus says this, God sent me to do his will, I am sending you, and I'm talking to you, and I'm including myself, to do God's will. Jesus wanted to please his Father and not himself. Now, Jesus had spent three years with his disciples. He had shown them how to know and relate to God, to minister to people, to provide healing, get them saved, share the gospel, have a heart for the lost. And he came to be a servant. He came to do his Father's will. He obeyed God. He went to the cross. He just stayed, whatever God wants, I'll go. 
Father, is there a way to get away from the cross? No, there isn't. Okay, I'll go. He went about everything, and he did, listen, he did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit, because you're going to hear that next week. Jesus had no miracles until he was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Then it started. Now, I'm going to show you something in a moment, and I want to give you an idea what that looks like. Now, when you see this, I want you to take a look at this PowerPoint. That's Jesus passing the baton to the church, to you and me. That hand is yours. It's mine. Here in this campus, no matter where you're sitting, those of you watching at home, no matter where you're watching, those of you and Vieira and Sebastian, doesn't matter. This is for everybody. Now, notice what you see there. Basically, the disciples knew he was going back to heaven. So the baton is passed. Remember when Moses died? What did God say? Moses is dead. Joshua, I'm passing the baton to you. Do you remember it? Now, here's what I want you to do. And I'm going to have it up there for you. I want you to understand this baton. I'm going to ask you in a few moments to raise your hand just like you saw in the picture. And I'm going to ask you to pray one simple thing. Now, God is really in this. I thought about this two weeks ago because I like to do things that are visual because you won't forget this. I didn't do this to mash somebody. This is the baton. It's being passed to you. It's special. It's responsibility, but it's a privilege to serve God. Now, let me ask you a question. You have to see. I said to my wife, what am I going to use for a baton? And I said, well, I found this little wood in the garage. Okay, I'll use that. It doesn't matter what it is. So we're walking yesterday morning early with the dog. We always do this. I walk with my wife and my dog for about a, all the way through the neighborhood. And we came up. People were putting the junk out, you know, stuff in their homes and stuff like that, and all those kind of things. And I walked, and here's this sucker sitting like this. And I went, praise the Lord. That's perfect. Thank you, God. I, didn't want, I was going to knock on the door. Thank you for helping the church today. I oh, know I didn't. I did not do that. <laughs> now, do you think this is a, by instance, it just happened? No, he did it. Now, some of you say, was it in the junk, or did you steal that from that home? Come up here just for a moment. Of course it was there in the junk. So watch what you're going to see on the overhead, and I want you to repeat this with me. Take a look. And it'll be right after this. What is Jesus saying when he's passing this to us? Because I want you to understand this in a moment with your prayer. Put that back up. That's good. That's good. That's good, guys. There it is. Here's what Jesus is saying to all of us. Then when you put your hand on Stay on mission. Share the gospel to everyone. Obey the Great Commission, which we'll see later. Continue to be like Jesus and continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You got it? That's what he's saying to them. He's saying to his disciples first, but his disciples spread it everywhere. Now, here, let's go. We're going to do a prayer. This is very simple, and it's clear. You're going to hold out your hand, and when I say ready, just say, God, I will continue Jesus' ministry. So I want you right now, just raise your hand out. If you're not a Christian, then you don't have to do that because it doesn't make sense to you. But I want you to raise your hand. This is you. This is me. This is a responsibility. 
It's been given to us. You say, well, I really don't want that. Then why are you here? This is how we change the world. It's the will of God. God didn't say, well, I'm passing it. Jesus said, I'm passing it to these people. That's really no good. No, that is the will of God. So here, campuses, online, anywhere, just raise it. I'm holding it to you. Grab it spiritually and say this word with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Put it there back. Put it right back. Just move there. God, I will continue Jesus' ministry. Amen? Thank you. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? There is nobody. See, some people say, well, I'm a Christian. What do I care about the others? You need a heart check. Remember Jesus' mission? Go into all the world. Seek and save the lost. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, and to my neighbor, too. Okay. (laughs) Now, think about this. The church is basically Christ followers who are growing more like Jesus and doing just what you read, continuing the, the ministry. Now, John 20, 22 can be a little surprising to you. Remember, he's there. He's in his spiritual body, new spiritual body. And he says this in John 20, 22. I have it for you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this passage is after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. After his, his death, burial, and resurrection. What did he do on the cross? He paid for the sins of all people. Now, the Holy Spirit, we'll talk about this next week, there's three personal relationships you can have with the Holy Spirit. The first one is the Holy Spirit convicts us, and then the Holy Spirit comes and dwells us into our life, and you'll see next week, the third one is the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and he empowers us. All three of those things uh, basically are common for the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what happened. Just pick me as the disciples. The disciples believed in Jesus, but they had no way to get rid of their sins because Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So when he went to the cross... Their bodies, which is what we are, the temple of God, were not clean. And when Jesus went to the cross, all they had to do is say, basically, God, thank you for dying for our sins. We repent of our sins. It doesn't say they said that, but that's basically what would happen. And now their body is what? Clean from sin. So what does Jesus say? And what does this Holy Spirit go? right inside, to dwell forever. You know why? Jesus is leaving. Who took Jesus' place? God, the Holy Spirit. Same exact one. So the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into us. And we'll talk next week all the things he does from us. He is God, and he has taken the place of Jesus. Can you imagine the disciples left Jesus leaves, and the disciples are there. Okay, uh, what do we do tomorrow? We lost our teacher. We have no idea what to do. This is all new. I don't even know what a church is. They didn't know what a church was yet. So the Holy Spirit came, and he did all that. See, God had it all planned. 
And Jesus knew exactly the plan. So he breathed on them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Actually came into them. Now, here's the next thing you're going to see. As you saw there, live forever. Next weekend, I'll explain a lot more. So don't miss next weekend. Now, before the start of the New Testament church, Jesus came up with two commandments. Not suggestions. He said this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. Now, that you don't earn it, my gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So the first command is to his disciples, be filled, continue to be filled, lifestyle with the Holy Spirit. And he says, wait until you're filled with God's power like I was. Then you can go out and change the world for Jesus Christ. Here's the second one. You know this. Second command, see this. First become a disciple and then make disciples. I'm not going to read it today for time, but you know that's Matthew 28, 19, and 20. It's to become a first first thing that happens to a person when they come to Christ, convert, and then disciple, and then to make disciples. That's exactly the way the, the thing never gets broken. It just keeps going. And so that's what he's commanding them to do. Now, we learned something today that God is our rock. And that Jesus is the rock, the foundation, and the chief cornerstone of the church. Here's God in the Old Testament. Let me read it to you. Second Samuel. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock, in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He is my refuge, my savior, the one who saves me from violence. Wow. God is the rock of our salvation. You know, when you think about that, everything else in our world is sinking sand. You got it? God is the rock. He ain't going nowhere. He's going to be our foundation forever. See, no person can be successful on their own. God designed every person to have their salvation settled on the rock. Ask Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior. Now, many people think they're good enough to go to heaven. But we already learned from Nicodemus, he was an incredibly good religious man. But religion is always a dead end. There has to be a living God living in you, not, war, not rules and regulations. And that's why Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Nicodemus eventually said, forget all that. I am asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Now, to be born again simply means this. To repent, that's exactly what Nicodemus had to do, and ask God to forgive us. To be born again means to put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Nicodemus went to Jesus. He knew something was special. He knew that Jesus was able to do something that he couldn't do himself. So here's a principle, and then I'm going to ask some of you people here in our campuses, wherever you're sitting, watching online, the other campuses, doesn't matter. You know God, but you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You might be a very religious person. No problem with that. But it eventually is a dead end. You need to have a personal relationship with the living God. His name is Jesus. 
And to do that, there's a promise for you. If you will do the prayer that I'm going to give you, remember I told you repent and ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you will discover you're going to be joining the family of God. Here's what Peter, what John said, 112. To all who believed him and accepted him, put their faith into him, he gave the right to become children of God. You know what? Look at me. There's nothing better. There's nothing better than following Jesus. Nothing better. Nothing. He's living. He's living. He is the answer to every person's prayer. Jesus. He is the hope of our world, and he's the hope of you, and he's hope of me. So I'm going to ask you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Many people are religious, but they have no hope. We have hope. It's Jesus Christ. He's the hope of the world. So let's bow our heads right now. All over, all of our campuses, you guys and, and watching online, just bow your head. If you want to become a Christ follower or make a recommitment, then just pray this simple prayer after me. You're praying to God. you saying to God the words that I say. Jesus, I know I am a sinner, and my sins separate me from a holy God. I ask today for your forgiveness. I want to be a different person. God, thank you that you love me enough to go to the cross for me. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent for them. Thank you for finding a way to be forgiven of my sins. And today I choose to follow you, not me. To follow you as my own personal living Savior. And today I put my trust in you. I look forward to a new life on the rock of Jesus Christ with the hope that I need and the guarantee of going to heaven when I die. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.